Here on Gadget Lab, we dive deep into the tech universe, tackling questions like, is giving companies access to your genetic material a good idea? And are the latest phone releases really that different than the last ones? We want to help you make informed decisions about what is worth your attention. And here's something that is undeniably worth your time, a digital subscription to Wired. Lucky for you, we are giving Gadget Lab listeners an exclusive discount, 20% off an annual subscription to Wired. Just visit Wired.com and use the promo code GL20 to get 20% off a digital subscription. Use GL20 to get exclusive access to stories on the latest innovations like AI, deepfakes, and VR, as well as today's most talked about people in technology. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive home and auto policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Mike. Lauren. Have you ever been accused of stealing something that you didn't steal? Uh, yes, when I was much younger and and looked like a ruffian. Yes, it has happened to me. Care to share more? No. <laughs> I think the statute of limitations has probably run out. Uh, what's your question? All right. <laughs> what would you have done if you were offered the option to take a plea deal and pay $100 versus going through a years-long legal process to clear your name? Uh, I mean, that's a really tough call because I would want to clear my name. But at the same time, that sounds like a gigantic hassle. And uh, 100 bucks was a lot of money to me at the time. But to make it all go away... And to swallow my pride a little bit, maybe? Well, a case involving missing AirPods in Illinois culminated in this exact quandary earlier in August. And the story is just too remarkable not to talk about on Gadget Lab. Great. Let's get into it. All right. Let's do it. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Gadget Lab. I'm Lauren Good. I'm a senior writer at Wired. And I'm Michael Calori. I'm a senior editor at Wired. We're also joined this week by two reporters from ProPublica, Jody S. Cohen and Jennifer Smith-Richards. Hello and welcome to you both. Hello. Hi. Thanks for having us. Thanks for coming on the show. We're really excited about this. Now, we wanted to bring Jody and Jennifer on the show because the team over at ProPublica has been running an investigation into how police in Illinois have been fining students for infractions or supposed infractions that would normally be handled within a school system itself, and how one particular case around AirPods brought more light to this practice. So a little background. In 2019, a teenager in Illinois named Amara Harris was accused of stealing a classmate's AirPods. 
Now, because of the way student discipline is handled in the state of Illinois, which we are going to discuss in depth during the second half of this episode, Amara Harris was hit with a ticket by police with a maximum fine of $500. But instead of paying the fine, Harris, who maintains that she accidentally picked up the pair of AirPods thinking they were hers, decided to use her ordeal to try to stop this widespread ticketing of students across the state. Three and a half years later, the case was finally settled, and Jody and Jennifer have the story. So first, tell us what happened on the day of the missing AirPods, according to Amara and other witnesses. So Amara's story has never changed, not through the many years that this has gone on. Her story is that she brought a pair of AirPods to school, misplaced them, and retraced her steps to find that a pair of AirPods were sitting in a common area where she had been earlier in the morning. She picked them up. They didn't immediately pair with her phone, but she repaired them without trouble and went on about her day thinking that she had recovered her own missing AirPods. Meanwhile, on that same day, another student realized her AirPods were missing. She went home, told her dad, who left a message at the school saying his uh, daughter's AirPods had been stolen. The following week, a couple days passed, the following week, there was a student in both of their class who thought she saw her friend's AirPods switch to Amara's AirPods, took a screenshot of it, sent it to her friend who gave it to the school deans, and they went on and did their own investigation, thought, huh, let's ask Amara if these are, you know, someone else's AirPods that she has. They went to her. She said, no, these are my AirPods. I bought them, you know, months ago. They then went back to the student, the other student with the missing AirPods. She went home, got the box that her AirPods came in. They went back to Amara. The AirPod serial number on the box matched the AirPods that Amara had. Amara said, oh, wow, I, you know, if they're not mine, take them, you know, handed them over right away. They went back to the other student and she ended up getting a ticket for stealing the AirPods. So uh, it sounds like something that all of us have experienced where like we all have devices that look exactly like everybody else's devices. And we assume that something belongs to us when in fact it belongs to somebody else because we don't maybe put stickers on them to personalize them or things like that. So it's like, how does a simple misunderstanding like this escalate to somebody getting a ticket? Well, I mean, I think you're right. That is the question. How does this minor thing that happened at school, which we can all relate to picking up, you know, the wrong property. And in this case, you know, she gave it back right away. How does that escalate into a police ticket? Well, it did. And as you said earlier, Amara and and her family said, we're not paying this ticket, which would mean admitting to theft, which is knowingly taking someone else's property. And we are not going to say we did something. She said she's not going to say she did something that she did not do. And we can get to this. It ended up in a jury trial last week. It's, it's so wild that uh, this went all the way to court. So this this kind of trial uh, that she went to with a with a jury and um, with multiple parties present is actually rather rare for this process uh, in Illinois. Uh, when students get issued a ticket for an infraction by the police, uh, they're often in a different kind of situation. Can you explain what what normally happens and then how Amara's case escalated? It's actually really rare for 
any ordinance violation ticket, any ticket for violating, you know, a local municipal law, whether it's like not mowing your lawn or being too noisy or any of the things you might get a ticket for. It's rare for any of those things to go to a jury trial. In fact, in Naperville, where, um, you know, Amar is from and where this ticket was issued, they hadn't had a jury trial for an ordinance violation ticket in at least a decade. So it's rare for any any case like this to go to a jury. I mean, what normally happens is in Illinois, we don't have municipal courts. We have these administrative courts. So there'll be like court in a police station or a city hall, and they'll bring in a hearing officer to hear the tickets. And usually most people you know, pay the tickets or they you know, say what their argument is against the ticket. You know, if you've ever gotten a speeding ticket, for example, and the hearing officer will decide whether you have to pay the ticket or not. What was some of the evidence presented in this case? The largest piece of evidence was simply that Amara had possession of the AirPods. And that in itself, um, the city argued, was evidence that she had stolen them. Um, some of the discussion was actually of a tech nature, right? It revolved around whether or not Amara would have known that the AirPods weren't hers because she had to repair them. Uh, with her own device. And that got into a really interesting discussion where people, um, you know, were sort of debating, should she have known? Was she notified? Would you would you have known that they weren't your AirPods um, at the moment you tried to use them? So, so that was mostly what the city's case was about, just the possession of them. So in her case, like the flakiness of Bluetooth was, was a good defense. <laughs> and an older generation of AirPods. That does it didn't have the alert that comes up that says these are not your AirPods or mm-hmm. some kind of signal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think Mike that Apple would take issue with the fact that you called it plain old Bluetooth. Though, don't they have a super special homemade chip that they put in there that's makes them different? And they do. And you know, they it's do. supposed to make pairing easier. It's also supposed to make finding your AirPods easier. And I mean, all of these things become irrelevant when somebody just thinks that maybe you took something of theirs, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Also, it's remarkable how much this escalated based on such a small piece of tech. And in the story, you both note that the friend who took a screenshot, like took a screenshot on a Chromebook of like a pair of AirPods that popped up in a list of possible devices and was like, look, this means that she must have stolen them. Exactly. That was the other piece of evidence was this student taking a screenshot on her Chromebook and then passing it on to her friend who passed it on to the dean's as evidence. That really was the other piece of evidence that the prosecutor had. But worth noting that if it had stopped right there, there would have been no ticket. The key in what made this escalate to what eventually became a court matter was that somebody involved the police. And once the police got involved, you know, police officers, their job is to enforce the law. And so they're looking to see was there a law broken here? Was there a, a potential crime committed, for example? And that's what they're assessing. And that is the point at which this became not just a matter that could have been handled by a dean, you know, given the AirPods back, you know, whatever needed to happen, um, but then becomes, you know, a, a matter that is handled in an actual circuit court in the state of Illinois. Mm-hmm. And that obviously would raise the stakes for Amara, depending on what happened in the court. Uh, We know from your story that just minutes before jury selection began on the first day of the trial, uh, Amara was offered a deal to settle with no fine and just a $100 court fee, but she decided not to 
because she wanted to prove her innocence in court. What sorts of risks was she facing by taking that chance? The risk was a maximum fine of $500 and a court fee of $100. So Mm. that was her risk. But she really wanted to clear her name. So tell us how this turned out. So this trial over this ticket went on for a day and a half, almost two full days between jury selection and arguments. There were nine witnesses. Um, Multiple school officials came and testified. Two classmates testified. Her mom testified. She testified. She was the final witness. She told her story. She has been wanting to tell her story for you know more than three years. This went on for three and a half years. Then the jury went to deliberate, and they deliberated over two days, about four hours, and came back and uh, said that Amara was not liable for theft, and she you know, won her case. So she's now 20 years old. As you mentioned, it's taken three and a half years. She has cleared her name. Uh, and this just happened. But what is life like for Amara now? So Amara is, she's a go-getter. She's a really smart young woman. She is a college student at Spelman, and she's headed back to school um, to sort of move on with her life. However, this has been a really important experience for her. And she has said very clearly, she doesn't want other high school students to have to experience this. You know, no high school student, in her view, should have to deal with a jury trial over something that gets picked up at school. And so she and her attorneys are talking about ways to make the legislature take action in Illinois to protect students from ticketing at high schools. All right, we're going to take a quick break and then come back with more about that. This podcast is supported by Tools and Weapons, the podcast hosted by Microsoft Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Each episode features insight you won't find anywhere else from the center of the conversation surrounding emerging technologies like AI. Right now on the podcast, you can hear a special episode where Brad Smith lays out Microsoft's vision for a vibrant marketplace driving the new AI economy. To hear more, follow or subscribe to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. Want a new podcast to look forward to each week? One that's entertaining, informative, and packed with actionable content? Come on, of course you do. Introducing The Jordan Harbinger Show. The Jordan Harbinger Show, which Apple named one of its best of 2018, is aimed at making you a better informed, more critical thinker so you can get a sense of how the world actually works and come to your own conclusions about what's happening, even inside your own brain. Jordan dives into the minds of fascinating people, from athletes, authors, and scientists, to mobsters, spies, and hostage negotiators. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show, That's H-A-R, B as in boy, I, N as in Nancy, G-E-R, in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. So this story about the missing AirPods is part of a larger series of stories that Jody and Jennifer and the team at ProPublica have been working on. And it's about the ways local police in Illinois are issuing thousands of fines to students per year because school administrators who are not legally allowed to fine students themselves are turning to the police as disciplinarians for minor school infractions. One attorney that they spoke to for their story said, basically, schools are using this as a way to have municipalities do their dirty work. So Jody and Jennifer, 
I'm wondering what first tipped you off to this broader issue in Illinois and, and how you started your reporting. What started us off on reporting about ticketing at school was that Jennifer and I were very curious about what happened when police got involved in kind of everyday school matters. We all know that there are police in most schools now as school resource officers. And that was it started with that question. And we filed various public records requests over a period of time to school districts in Illinois to see what happened. And we started seeing through those responses to those requests that police were issuing citations or tickets to students, which is something that was not really on our radar, um, but it quickly got on our radar. And we decided to try to document just how often this is happening throughout the entire state. And we, we did that. We looked at a period of time and found um, about 12,000 tickets had been issued. We were able to document about 12,000 tickets to mostly high school students. Uh, we really were looking at mostly high school students. And uh, we were able to document how this was happening across the state. And students were getting tickets for, kind of, uh, I would say, the more minor kind of conduct at school. Like they would, were ticketed for possession of you know, vaping pens or disorderly conduct or like a hallway fight that normally, you know, like a shoving fight in the hallway that that you might think would land you with a detention or, uh, you know, some a talking to by, by the principal, but students were getting tickets. And these tickets were very expensive. In Illinois, they can be up to $750 and they are very, very hard to beat. And so we we're finding that students and families were landing in debt over over these tickets. Were these citations being handed out in public schools or private schools or both? So we looked in public schools. That's not to say that they don't exist in private schools, but you know, our our window was really into public schools and like Jody said, mostly high schools in the state. And so we should probably back up a little bit and talk about SB 100 and how that plays into all of this. How it created the infrastructure for police to be able to issue these kinds of tickets to, to students, to kids. Yeah, so, so SB 100 in Illinois was a major overhaul of school discipline. And the intent behind a portion of it that deals with fines was that schools shouldn't be issuing fines as discipline. And that seemed like something the legislature could really get behind. The problem is that schools also have police officers in them. And there's nothing in the law that prohibits police officers from issuing a ticket that carries a fine to a student um, in disciplinary matters. And so that's exactly what happened. Schools began turning to their local school resource officer or sometimes local police to come and help enforce the rules of the school. Um, and they did it through the town's municipal code. So if there was a, an ordinance on the books that says, no vape pens, or that is against, for example, truancy, um, or a, a rule against fighting within city limits. Those types of ordinances began being enforced at school, like on campus in this during the school day. In your reporting, you spoke to some experts about whether or not citing kids for infractions in a like, municipal manner and making them pay fines actually changes their behavior or not. What did they have to say about that? They said it did not help them change their behavior. It basically did nothing to help anybody. Um, we talked to many people, and including the state school superintendent, the top education official in the state said, 
this is not a helpful practice at all. You know, one thing that's interesting is that truancy um, in, in Illinois, truancy was, there's actually a law that says you cannot fine a student for truancy. You can't, you know, even a police officer should not be able to fine a student for truancy if they're referred by the school. So at one point we met a truancy officer and we asked him, you know, does issuing these tickets help get students to school? And he actually said that, well, when a student thinks they're going to get a ticket because they've been truant in the past, they actually don't come to school because they're so scared. I'm going to then give them a ticket. So I think it's pretty clear that uh, the experts say it does not help to ticket students. It does not change their behavior. And then if they end up getting a ticket, they might have to go to a police station on a school day, which means they miss school. Yeah, you get it. That's exactly right. They're out of school again and their their parents are out of work sometimes. I mean, it's sort of interesting if you think about like there's this whole movement um, in schools away from punitive discipline. So the types of things and exclusionary discipline, the types of things that we think of like expulsion and suspension, um, things that are meant to punish versus try to solve a problem. There's a move away from that. And this is very much a move toward it. Mm-hmm. And we saw just like a very, just like the the example that Jody gave, a very concrete example of how unhelpful this can be was when we asked one of the students who had been ticketed for vaping um, why they didn't just stop and try to avoid the tickets. And they said very clearly, I can't stop. I am addicted to this. And it's in that moment you think like, wait a second, <laughs> we're just punishing this child for a very real problem that could use some actual assistance from the school. Right. And as you know, in the story, it throws children into a legal system that's really designed for adults. And the revenue from the tickets doesn't, it goes to the municipalities, right? Right. It does not go to the schools. It goes essentially to fund the operation of the the administrative hearings. So you have to have a, a clerk and you have to record the administrative hearing, right? There are administrative costs. And so often the cost of the tickets was going directly just to fund that operation. You made hundreds of information requests and you compiled a database of all of the instances that you found where kids were being issued tickets for infractions. Uh, What sorts of other inequities were exposed by your database? Well, one of the things that we discovered pretty clearly, pretty early, is that students of color were being ticketed at disproportionate rates. Um, Black students in particular were much more likely to be ticketed than their white peers. And this was true in in all types of schools. So urban, rural, suburban schools, um, we were able to document all across the state these types of disparities and who was being ticketed and also for what. So we found that offenses that are a little less clear cut, right? So the ones that are about behavior versus possession of something tended to be issued more often um, to students of color. So things like being disobedient or causing a disturbance at school. If you are a Black student in Illinois, you are more likely to be ticketed for those reasons than your peers at school. Hmm. That is pretty grim. Yes. What were some of the responses of the school districts and municipalities you brought this data to? The responses varied. I mean, some... Um, some of the larger school districts, like where the superintendent is not kind of in the weeds on the day-to-day activities of the schools. Um, there's one superintendent in particular who was just totally 
appalled and surprised that police were as involved in school discipline as they were. And he made changes in policy at his schools and told his school principals basically to stop this. There are other schools that also cut it out, but there are some that said, we're not stopping this. This is something that we feel like is okay to do. Um, You know, students who are found vaping, you know, in outside of school can be ticketed. Why shouldn't they be ticketed in school? The only issue with that is when we requested records from different municipalities, you could see that almost always when students received a ticket for something like vaping, it was at school. We did not find vaping tickets, you know, issued at parks or outside, you know, in in other public spaces. They were Tickets were almost always given to young people at school. Hmm. To bring it back to Amara Harris's case with the AirPods, and that seems like it really shown a tractor beam on this issue, and a lot of people were paying attention to it. Do you think that any change is forthcoming in the way this, this all works? It's possible. There was a bill introduced in the legislature last session that would have made it so that you could not get uh, ticketed at school. It was it was sort of a, a process they were trying to stop, and and the the goal was to stop the ticketing at school. Um, that bill stalled in the legislature last session. There are um, there's talk about bringing it back. Certainly, the sponsor wants to bring it back, and Amara's attorneys are saying they are going to be pushing for it, and they would like this bill to pass and be called the Amara Harris bill. Is this a problem that exists outside of Illinois? It is. I mean, there are some states that we were able to identify where students are issued tickets at school. Um, The problem is that the federal government actually doesn't track this type of discipline. So the government does track whenever students are arrested at school. But this is not an arrest. This is a Mm -hmm. ticket. And it's not something that they have chosen to look at. So we don't really know how many states um, are embracing this practice. Hmm. Sounds like an ongoing project for ProPublica. Not to give you guys more work. But Well, this has been stellar reporting, and you can see some of the direct impact of Jennifer and Jody's reporting on ProPublica's site, where they've published more stories about this. So let's take another quick break and come back with our recommendations. Hackers and cybercriminals have always held this kind of special fascination. Obviously, I can't tell you too much about what I do. It's a game. Who's the best hacker? And I was like, well, this is child's play. I'm Dina Temple Raston, and on the Click Here podcast, you'll meet them and the people trying to stop them. We're not afraid of the attack. We're afraid of the creativity and the intelligence of the human being behind it. Click Here, stories about the people making and breaking our digital world. AI machines, satellite, engine ignition, click here, and liftoff. Click here every Tuesday and Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, it's time for our favorite segment of the show, our hard-hitting FOIA-based recommendation segment. Jody, Jennifer, this will feel familiar to you. Who's up first? I'll go. I'll go. Okay. So I have an end of summer recommendation based on my enjoyment of this all summer. Um, Listen, I live in Chicago. I have a small backyard. I don't have a bunch of trees, but I do have a backyard hammock, the kind that has like attaches to a frame. 
And I have to tell you, I've gotten so much enjoyment out of that. It's the best money I spent all summer. I can't wait to use it until it gets just too cold in Chicago to use it anymore. <laughs> so that, that is my recommendation, backyard hammocks. That's a great one. You know, in San Francisco, it's like the end of August. It is just starting to get warm now, and it'll stay warm through maybe the beginning of October. So it's hammock season here. So I appreciate this. He brags about this. It's wildfire season. That's what it is. That too. I was trying to be positive. <laughs> I'm sorry. What brand of hammock do you have? I, I'll be honest. I don't even know. Um, I I basically went wildly searching on Amazon for the sturdiest yet cheapest um, hammock frame and hammock that I could get. And it's a it's a Brazilian hammock, which means it swaddles you in the most loving way as you're swinging in the breeze. Um, so that that's what I would recommend is that Brazilian style hammock. Nice. That's great. It sounds like ProPublica could maybe start like a little wire cutter offshoot. <laughs> Oh, that's an idea. I'm I'm game for testing hammocks. <laughs> Sign me up. Jody, what's your recommendation? Well, my recommendation, you may think it's not quite as fun and more practical, but really it is also will make you smile. And that is <laughs> the Scrub Daddy sponge. Do you know do you use the Scrub Daddy sponge? Do you no. know about the Scrub Daddy sponges? I think I do have the sponge. It's, it's sponges. It's, it's all white, and it, one side is soft, squishy white, and the other side is like this clearish kind of uh, scrub. Is that is, is that the mm. sponge? The sponge no, is a this. kitchen sponge. It has a smiley face in it, and it comes in different colors. So mine is yellow, so I'm not sure if the white one is the same thing, but... This is a um, a very happy sponge, and but it's not just looks good. It's like really super super practical. So it like it help. It's really good on um, with cold water and hot water, and it dries quickly, so it doesn't smell bad. And also, it's it has a smiley face, so it's just a great. Uh, it's a great sponge. It was on Shark Tank. That's how it oh. first got known. Um, but now you can find them like pretty much anywhere. In fact, I just got a pack of them at Costco. Nice. It's um, it's qualified as America's favorite sponge. <laughs> oh, that's according to their marketing. That has not been independently <laughs> verified. But look, I, I concur. And and the smile, we should just point out, the smile is not just cute. It's also functional yes. because you it fits a spoon, the curve of a spoon perfectly. And so when you're trying oh. to get that curve of the spoon clean, you can just drag it through the mouth of the scrub daddy. <laughs> oh, I also, see this now. If you have a faucet handle, that's like yes! a single faucet handle that's shaped sort of like an upside down tongue, you can just stick the sponge right on the end there. Exactly. So do you out. have one of these? You know it? I do know it because a friend has one. Oh. <laughs> but no, I'm a jet scrubs with a Z man. That's my loyal. That's I'm, my loyal sponge brand. <laughs> I'm thinking now that my sponge is probably some eco fiber, all natural, dye free version that I got at the local store in San Francisco because that would be very San Francisco. Yes, probably. Yeah, and it's probably like got a grim expression rather than the smiley of the scrub daddy. It's a sad sponge. It's a sad, sad, sad sponge. sponge. This is a. This is a really. These are great recommendations. Thank you for this. When you're done scrubbing, you should go relax on a hammock. <laughs> That's a deal. Exactly. <laughs> Mike, what's your recommendation this week? 
I'm going to recommend a newsletter. It is the Long Reads Top 5 Weekly Ooh. Newsletter. Okay. Um, the folks at longreads.com basically track all of the big in-depth feature reporting and feature-length essays and long profiles done by all of the big publications on the web and many of the small ones that you have never heard of, which is why I would recommend this newsletter. It arrives on Fridays. It gives you the five best long reads that were published that week, which you can go read. And there are always one or two in the list from a publication that I had not heard of or that I was unaware did long-form journalism, and uh, they are delightful stories. The topics in the top five are obviously, they're all, there's not really a theme to them, but sometimes there can be, especially when something big is happening in the world, a big news event that a lot of people are doing in-depth reporting on. Uh, but most of the time you get like a really nice mix of news stories, uh, profiles of people in like arts and entertainment, and science stories. There was one in particular last week, uh, Jude Isabella writing in Hakai magazine about an island in Alaska that is populated by a herd of feral cows. And uh, there are problems with the cows, uh, like there's aggressive rutting and there are ecological instabilities happening on the island because wow. these cows are are like absolutely everywhere. But also it's just a story about how to get to this island on a sailplane. Or Do boat, people live there? Plane. Uh, no, it's it's mostly uninhabited. Oh, so they've all moved away? They've all, yes, they've all, they've all moved <laughs> Sorry. away. Sorry. They heard it was crowded with cows, I think is mm -hmm. what you were saying. Yeah, spotty yes. service there. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Uh -huh. You're just going to milk this for all it's worth. I can tell. <laughs> All right, that was that was utterly fascinating. Okay, so get the Long Reads Top Five Weekly Newsletter, and you too can read about cows and other important things uh, like um, the bee problem in the United States, or the big Republican candidates who are challenging Donald Trump, or mm -hmm. uh, coastal erosion, or mm -hmm. profiles of Nick Cave. All different kinds of things that you might enjoy show up in that newsletter. So that's that's my recommendation. You got so, another cow joke? <laughs> no. Sorry. What is your recommendation? My recommendation is to donate to ProPublica. It's very on topic. Um, I'm sure Jody and Jennifer could tell you a lot more about it than I can, but it is a nonprofit newsroom. A lot of the revenue comes from individual donors. Um, you can go to the website. It's not hard to find. I literally Googled support ProPublica. You can also go to www.propublica.org forward slash ProPublicans, and you will find a page um, where that explains to you their model and, and why they need money and how your donation is spent um, and uh, and become a ProPublican. So that's my recommendation. And of course, to check out Jody and Jennifer's work on uh, this series that we just covered on this podcast. That's a great recommendation. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Very welcome. I agree. It's a great recommendation. Nice. Thank you. Almost as good. Almost as good as a hammock and a sponge and long reads. Maybe better. Maybe better. <laughs> Maybe better. Actually, if you read long reads and ProPublica, there's probably an intersection of the two. There is. Yeah. Our ProPublica stories are, are uh, often in long reads. There you go. <laughs> some of them written by some of the people on the show. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. All right. That's our show for this week. Jennifer and Jody, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. 
Thank you. This was really fun. And thanks to all of you for listening. If you have feedback, you can find all of us on Twitter. We're still there. I guess we should start calling it X. Mm, mm. Or whatever. Just check the show notes. The social network formerly known as Twitter. Our producer is the excellent Boone Ashworth. Goodbye for now. We'll be back next week. I'm Reid Hoffman. And I'm Aria Finger. If you're interested in learning about how technology and humanity can come together to make a better future, then Possible is for you. We invite ambitious builders and deep thinkers like Trevor Noah, Kara Swisher, Sam Altman, and so many more. Help us sketch out the brightest version of the future and what it will take to get there. If you want to be part of the future today, then subscribe to Possible wherever you listen to podcasts. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you. And how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's better, H-E-L-P, dot com.